What's up, everyone? God in Physics. That's the conversation today with Matt from Physically Debunked. Uh, we're talking about, um, he's an atheist. We're going to be talking about different arguments like the cosmological and fine-tuning argument, Matt's story, um, and just the nature of science and all kinds of fun stuff. So, Matt, what's up, man? How you doing? Hi, I'm very good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. I'm super excited for this conversation. And I mean, I've listened to some of your stuff, which is why I wanted to have you on, because I was like, this could be a really like fun conversation, lighthearted. Um, what a challenge some of the things like, I've said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I have this like giant list here on my iPad where it's like 18 million things. That's gonna <laughs> we're going to go through them one by one. Um, but no, we're just going to be talking about um, God and physics and a little bit of math journey. So to get things started, Matt, do you want to talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do and what got you interested in like where you are today? Yeah, sure. So uh, currently I'm a PhD student in physics at uh, Queen Mary uh, University of London, so here in London. Uh, so I'm a PhD student in cosmology. So this is a kind of area where there's some ripe crossover sometimes for thinking philosophically and theologically. Uh, in particular, I look at <clears throat> my PhD is in very early universe. So looking at kind of the earliest period um, <clears throat> in the history of the universe that we can really say anything sensible about, which is inflation. Okay. So inflation is just this incredibly rapid expansion at the um, really tiny fraction of a second just after the Big Bang. Uh, and yeah, it's the only place, it's the furthest we can get back in time, really, where our laws of physics make sense, uh, where they still work, and we can say something about how the universe evolved. Mm -hmm. uh, so specifically what I work on uh, two kind of things that could be produced from interesting models of inflation. And these are primordial black holes. So these are a kind of black hole, which instead of your usual black holes, which would be formed from stars collapsing, these would be uh, black holes which are formed from inflation in the early universe uh, before there are any stars or anything around at all. So a different kind of black hole. Uh, and the other thing I look at, which is very exciting for the future is seeing what the potential is for detecting gravitational wave signals coming from inflation. There's a lot of information that we could potentially get if there are detectable gravitational waves coming from the early universe. This could tell us a whole wealth of information about the universe even earlier than we currently know about. All right. Well, this is super cool. And I'd love to maybe talk at the end about like the science of the early universe like being like the bare bones of what's going on because i think about like the idea of like everything condensing into like a really really tiny hot mm. dense state and i get like kind of scared i'm like what on earth is going <laughs> on um so yeah i think that's super interesting um but first things first obviously you're an atheist um you don't believe in god i hopefully i have that right so maybe like talk a little bit about like um your journey and like how your science has kind of maybe impacted your views or maybe it hasn't at all and like kind of like why are you an atheist now that's a big question. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I think originally I I was I I come from a family that was never particularly religious or religious minded. They weren't atheists, uh, but they weren't but they weren't practicing Christians or anything like that either. It was very the only thing I ever heard about religion and things like that was singing hymns at school. And that was about it, really. Um, so I came from so I come from a background where there was never really any pressure one way or, or the other in terms of worldview and, and, and this kind of thing. Um, now, obviously I study physics now, uh, but actually I didn't actually like physics up until quite late into, into school. Um, I found it very bland, very kind of intuitive, and I just got the impression that everything about the universe was kind of already known 
it was already known there was nothing more to know and learning about physics in any more detail was just learning little kind of not very interesting details about the world and how it worked mechanistically didn't seem very interesting to me i didn't really like it but then where what was really a turning point for me is when i uh, came across some quantum physics ideas and started seeing kind of popular quantum quantum theory videos on youtube and reading popular science books on quantum theory and after encountering that what i really realized is that there's this whole bizarre way that the universe actually seems to work which i hadn't expected at all it was completely counterintuitive uh and i found it completely shook kind of what i thought the world was i thought it was all known and that it was all very reasonable and intuitive and quantum physics was the complete opposite of this so this made me think oh the world is actually really interesting it seems there's actually some really weird stuff going on so i wanted to learn more uh and i took physics up through school uh properly and then started my degree in uh physics and philosophy is what my degree is in so I have a background both in physics and philosophy. And the reason I took that is because my primary interest uh, at this stage is just in the world, how the world works, how reality works at various different levels. Science and physics study it at certain levels. And then philosophy, there's some fascinating crossover between the two subjects, uh, even though they're approaching essentially this, this same question from, from different sides. Um, and so being interested in how the world works, how reality works, what reality is, being interested in these questions inevitably then leads to asking the question, well, is there some God? Is there some deity? Is there some kind of first cause which has, which is personal, has a mind? That's a question that's inevitably going to come up if you're interested in what the world is and how the world works at a, fundament, at a fundamental level. So, I kind of, for, for a couple of years, I kind of flitted back and forth between uh, between uh, Christianity and atheism. Um, I was I, I was in a kind of little social club that was a social club, but had a, a little religious element to it. It was at it was at the church, and so after at the end of each evening, there was a little kind of Bible Bible session, uh, and then there was also at the end of the year in summer there was a big Christian camp in the UK, which we all went to and was all about sharing and, and teaching Christianity. And during that, I, uh, for, for, for various reasons, I came to think, ah, oh, this is a really, okay, I see the merits of this, of this idea, of this philosophy, of this theology, uh, and decided, decided for myself that I thought this was something I wanted to pursue further. So I started reading more, I started reading the Bible in more detail. Um, but then simultaneously, I also want, I also came across the likes of Dawkins and Hitchens. Uh, and so I had, there was kind of this clash between two different, very competing worldviews. Uh, world and so I just wanted to find out as much as I could about all of this stuff. Because it's, at the end of the day, it's an exceptionally important question. So I just wanted to find, find out everything I could about this. And eventually, after after immersing myself in, in these ideas and these arguments, I found myself eventually very firmly on the atheist side. Um, mm. uh, I, could, I could explain why. 
Yeah. So like, what are some, you talked about, like you're kind of on the fence um, and you studied the arguments, the arguments like push you towards atheism. What are some of the arguments that like pushed you towards like the atheist side of things? So I think what, what ultimately it comes down to for me is that I'm interested in what can provide the best explanation for what we see around us in the world. And science is something which um, it, con- it, 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 it gives you an understanding and explanation of lots of things in the world independently of, uh, of religion and, 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 and philosophy. Um, uh, but also theism is something which makes claims about the way the world is. And in being able to evaluate those claims and compare them to things that we that we see and we observe, you can then make a judgment on uh, do you do I do I think that theism is providing me with good explanations, with satisfying explanations for what I see around me, or doesn't it? And what I ended up on is that what I ended up concluding is that actually for me there seemed to be a lot of a lot of observations, a lot of features of the world, which to me, I think, if you, on theism, are explained quite poorly, okay? On, 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 on naturalism, they're not, they may not have explanations yet, uh, but not having an explanation is not worse than having an explanation that's bad or unsatisfying. Sometimes it's, it's better just to say, we don't know what the answer to this question is, it's pending further investigation, but I can recognize that some of the explanations on the table are unsatisfying or are, are, don't seem to work very well. Um, so, I mean, some of the, some of the problems which, which make me feel this way are, are fairly standard. Um, there's, there's, kind of, there's kind of two elements to this. There's some observations which I think are incompatible with or, or inconsistent with various claims made by by some of the more common theisms and there are some observations which i think uh, are just explained badly in um in a uh, in theism compared to naturalism com- compared to an, a- an atheistic uh, worldview so some of the things that i think are incompatible i think the problem of evil is something that's incompatible with uh with theism i think that miracles are uh, are, are so Theism may, or, or certain strands of theism may claim that miracles occurred. I think this is incompatible with what we've, what we know about the world. Uh, and then there are other things which I think theism just provides poor explanations for. One, for example, I think, and this is something that I feel quite strongly, is the existence of many religions, the existence of so many different uh, mutually contradictory or um, inconsistent religions, I think is something that a naturalistic standpoint can account for quite well and a theistic one i've never seen a very good explanation of why there are so many why there are so many religions of, of, all, of all these different kinds uh i think morality particularly the existence of of people like psychopaths and sociopaths is something that i think is difficult to account for in theism rather than naturalism uh and also the existence of animals i've always found that the existence of animals feels like something that there doesn't feel like there's any reason for their existence in, in, in the theories of in, in Christianity or Islam. Whereas in naturalism, uh, 
there is this um you have the evolutionary processes which produce all kinds of different life all kinds of different animals you can't have humans without animals uh but on theism i see no reason why you can't have humans and no, and no other kind of animal for example i don't these are things which i think are, theism doesn't explain these things very well whereas assume uh, on naturalism on atheism these are things that make sense based on the the science that we currently know mm. yeah okay thanks now yeah, that's really great and you know I, i'd love to have a conversation about like mm -hmm. people or miracles or pluralism but but i like to focus on god and physics today especially yes um, also, also those those first things are things that i'm not <laughs> i'm not necessarily <laughs> an expert in those are just things that i've come across and i've read the arguments in a little detail but not much mm -hmm. but yeah physics yeah. is what i'm much more com comfortable talking about <laughs> and it's what i'm not comfortable talking about at all so i'm stepping into the deep waters <laughs> which is why i love this conversation because i'm like well i don't know a lot but i know some but nothing like <laughs> the level you do um so that's why i'm super pumped so like would you say like one of the things you talked about um, like supporting like atheism or naturalism was the idea that like science is an understanding of the world like without like a need for like a god so like would you say then like the science like confirm or i guess you're obviously not going to say it confirms that god exists um but would the science like lead to like disconfirmation of like god or would you say like more maybe like science just like isn't relevant to trying to, when thinking about like is there a god or not where are you on that kind of question so so let's start off with a situation where science would not necessarily be relevant to the question. And that's if you just have a plain kind of deism. If you're just trying to investigate the claim, is there a supernatural entity? Is there a deity? Science really, at least in its current form, has very little to say about that. Uh, there's, there's just, there's nothing really that follows from deism uh, concerning the, that, that follows about the natural world from that hypothesis alone. So science being concerned with the way that what the world around us works, there's nothing it really can say about whether a God exists. Okay. But that's not what most people believe in. Most people aren't just a deist, believe in some supernatural entity and don't make any claims about its properties or its, or its desires or, or, or these kinds of things. What religions, what theism say are, are that God has certain properties and once you give God these properties, it then means something about how the world around us is going to turn out. Okay. Um, the claims that are made in theism are claims which uh, are about or entail something about the world around us. And so what science can do, because that's science's primary domain, the world around us, what science can do is it can cross-check these claims. It can analyze these uh these, these questions, analyze the world around us and see whether these claims are something uh, which can be backed up, can be back, are backed up by what we see in the natural world, or whether these are things which actually the natural world looks very different to what we'd expect uh, based on the claims of different religions and different theisms. Um, now, what I think, so I think this is, this is the case in, in various areas uh, physics and science. Uh, but what I've, what I think is quite interesting is that science, science today is seen as something which is very mechanistic, very impersonal, and very disconnected from religion. There was kind of this thing a bit ago that science and religion were these non-overlapping magisteria, that they had nothing to say about each other, they didn't communicate at all. And now it's so it, 
it's certainly true that religion deals with some things which science doesn't really touch so much. Things like ethics, science, at least in its current form, doesn't really have much to say about these kinds of things, the way you should live your life. Um, but when it comes to the natural world, then there is some overlap, which both of these magisteria are saying things about. Um, but back in the day, we're talking kind of medieval era, these, this kind of time, uh, science was really uh, a branch of religion. The, the scientists in the medieval era were all monks or friars or bishops. They were all religious people working institutions. Uh, and what they saw themselves as doing was, was uh, looking at how God's creation worked. Science was a, a branch of theology in that kind of sense. You're just looking at this, God's created this world. Let's go find out about it. Now, what's happened over time is that as science has progressed, as science has gone on and on and on, there have been several episodes in the history of science's development where actually uh, what we found really diverges from what we'd expect based on uh, the claims of Christianity, for example. Uh, so I think one of the key examples of this would be the uh, uh, the formulation and discovery of, of evolution, the theory of evolution by natural selection, that biological organisms are not irreducibly complex. We're, we're, we're hugely complicated systems, but our complexity is something that can come from a long drawn out process over time uh, being built up and built up. Okay. Uh, but you, you, this, this isn't necessary. This didn't have to be the case. This didn't have to be what we found. We might have done, done science, started biology and actually found that all biological organisms were actually irreducibly complex, that there was no natural explanation possible uh, for the existence of complex irreducibly complex biological organisms. If we'd found, if we found that that had been the case, then this would have been a huge, um, a, a huge bonus, a huge confirmation for uh, what's claimed in, in Christianity, that we're designed, that we're, uh, that we're designed and created by, by God. We could have found that, um, so people used to wonder how the sun was still shining, okay? Chemical reactions only last for a certain amount of time, they, they, they don't release that much energy compared to nuclear reactions. So people wondered why the sun was could have lasted so long to permit evolution over billions of years. But what we found is that actually the sun is, the way the sun produces energy is by nuclear reactions. These can last a much, much, long, much, much longer time. And so there is no mystery. But that isn't necessarily what we could have had to have found. We could have found that actually the sun was composed of, uh, it, the way the sun got its energy was just through chemical reactions and that it should have uh, burnt out a long, long time ago based on uh, if we're assuming that the earth has existed for, and the sun has existed for billions of years. And if we'd found that, then we might have had to have said, okay, it's a bit weird, but I guess the sun must have appeared only 4,000, 6,000 years ago uh, and maybe the Earth is much, much younger than we thought. But that's not what we found. What we found is that the sun 
uh, burns through nuclear fusion. And it's and so uh, we have reason to believe it's been burning. And the Earth's been here and the sun's been here for billions and billions of years. Um, so there are, there are many avenues uh, in the history of science which could have been taken where religious claims were confirmed by what we saw in the natural world. It's only because at kind of every junction uh, we found that science kind of disagrees with what religious uh, what religions have been claiming, that science is now at this stage where it's seen as totally independent. Uh, it's the study of the way the world works independently of religion. And it you, you, can, uh, you can be religious and believe in science, or you can be religious and deny science. Um, we've got to that stage now. Um, so yeah, the, the kind of impersonal, irreligious, mechanistic picture of modern science is not something that was built into science. It's something that we've arrived at because it seems time and time again, what we've learned about the natural world is counter to what we would have expected based on religion and, and, uh, and in particular Christianity. And I think that's something for me, that's something quite telling that uh, how the natural world actually seems to work doesn't involve any appeal to claims that are made in, in Christianity, for example. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I think that's great. So if I'm tracking with you, Matt, that kind of idea here is that um, a lot of times in the past, uh, theists would point to like, um, certain, like domains of science that we didn't like fully understand as like signs of like, um, like, here's like, where like divine intervention may be like needed. So like, for example, uh, just going back to like evolution. So like, um, you know, people would be like, hey, like, how do we get this like super complex system? It seems like, you know, it can't just come about like by some natural process. Um, so there must be like some sort of like creator intelligence got. Um, and obviously like there's Darwinian theory now, which seems to challenge that notion. Um, or there's been many models of evolution, but like evolutionary theory in general has challenged the notion of saying, hey, there's no need for like direct intervention here. Um, we just have a process that unfolds. So it seems like, like in your view then, like that's going to kind of count against God. And when we look at like other like scientific mysteries, like you could talk about like, fine-tuning or like cosmology as we get to in a little bit here you're gonna say like a similar thing of like we, we may not have the answer but we have this trend of like seemingly theistic explanations just turning into things that science can explain and it's just kind of like that's probably the route that's going to be as we progress in like our understanding of the world am i tracking with you yeah essentially and and you, you say fine-tuning well this is kind of the next junction which science mm -hmm. has now arrived at where you know there's you could, this is something that is unexplained, whereas things like complex life and, uh, and the age of the universe are things that, that are, those are things that are explained. What is unexplained now is the values of the, the values that various physical constants take. This is something that is explained. And again, we see that we've got, we've got two junctions. Perhaps there, there's, there's one junction which points the way of kind of things like multiverses, or there's lots of other suggest physical suggestions as well. But there's all these kind of purely naturalistic physical suggestions. And there's also the suggestion that, well, the universe was designed. God picked out these particular constants in order that, uh, for life, for complex, intelligent life to evolve. So we've got this junction again. Now, it'll be very interesting to fast forward 100 years and, or so in the future and see whether we end up with uh, some observational evidence for the existence of of extra universes and whether science has again gone the route of a naturalistic explanation over a theistic one but mm -hmm. 
because it seems in the history of science so far, it, it's always, almost always gone the route of naturalistic explanation. We don't need to appeal to God. Um, my bet then is that it will continue to be this case. Mm -hmm. this way. Okay. Yeah, thanks. That's helpful. So one thing I've been wondering about, and I'm just going to try to flesh this out um, and talk and hopefully it'll make any sense. <laughs> um, but I've been wondering, like, so you talked about like the deistic God, um, where there's like an impersonal being and like science doesn't really say anything about that because it's not like the deistic God intervenes in the world. Um, and then you talked about like the theistic God where there's, there were expectations that like God would have to be like the cause of like, um, like the creation of human beings or things like this. And what I'm wondering is like, could there be like a middle ground? Like, obviously, like I'm a Christian, I'm a theist. <laughs> I want to affirm that like mm -hmm. a theistic God exists and like lives in a world that like does miracles and things like this. But one of my thoughts recently is like, what if God just, and I'm not committed to this, but it's just something I've been thinking about is like, what if God creates a world that can just like naturally unfold? Um, like you could like God create a process and you know, like there's debates within like evolutionary theory on like, is it like a very like random process or is it more goal oriented or things like this? Like what if God just creates a process that can naturally unfold um, and create life? Cause it seems like to me, like a lot of the things you're saying, like that kind of theism, like that's not really going to be challenged by like evolutionary. I mean, you could run problem of evil arguments, but like evolutionary theory itself isn't going to really challenge that like understanding of like how God interacts in the world. What do you think? No, no, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. That would also, that would, um, uh, so the fact that science keeps going these naturalistic routes would then not be a surprise because God has set up the world in a way that it is purely natural. There's no intervention needed. Um, that's all fine. And also this would remove my objection that I think miracles are incompatible uh, with, with science as we know it because no miracles would happen. It's all, it all evolves. It's all set up. It's all, uh yeah it's all set up kind of in advance and, and it goes yeah that's fine. well i would just clarify with my model i would say something like miracles are still possible um and like they still okay. happen it's just not with like the scientific like like god's not miracling in um things at the camp according to this model i'm thinking about like there's not like at the cambrian explosion there's not these like 24 miracles that happen and boom the next step kicks in it's more of like creating like a teleological process that kind of progresses towards like today i thought you i thought you said though that uh, this wasn't a God who intervened at all. This was Oh, I meant like in terms of like, I'm sorry. Um, I meant in terms of like, where there's those needs for like scientific explanations is kind of what I is kind of what I Because you talk to me in things like this. And I'm like, what, what if he just creates a process that like allows for evolution? I'm trying to allow for like the day-to-day -day miracles that, you know, like the okay, resurrection okay. of Jesus, for example. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay, fine. So, okay. So let's, let's, so let's just take it then that, um, that you're just setting up a naturalistic process and, and and this is how the world evolves or how it, how, how it develops okay then then yes then you you would expect uh that science keeps taking this these naturalistic routes and there's a natural naturalistic explanation for all these things okay yeah that's fine but what so um but the the other claims that are made in by in various religions and in in, in in various um branches uh more claims about about the world are made than than just that okay you start introducing mm -hmm. properties such as loving nature of god you start introducing properties that uh, ideas like the universe that the universe and the planet was designed for us uh and these are things then that even if the process of science was set up by god you can still question why would they have done it that way this seems a mm -hmm. bizarre way to set things up based on the goals that were outlined in in something like the bible so for example if you wanted to 
if you wanted to design uh, a universe for beings such as ourselves, it makes very little sense to me why the, why the cosmos is so is so large. Uh, if if your entire focus really is on a, is on just humans on a little planet, I don't understand why there's all this extra space, why there's all this extra cosmos, this vast, unbelievably huge cosmos with trillions and trillions of stars and even more planets. Why is it doesn't make any sense to me why that's around? That to me looks it, it it seems much more likely to me that that would exist on the on a naturalistic hypothesis, which kind of spews out all these all these different planets and spews out all these different possibilities, uh, as, as essentially randomly, uh, versus the view that you have an intelligent designer who's meticulously designed this 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 Earth this universe for ourselves that. The current state of our universe looks to me very much like how it would, assuming natural processes, kind of uh, non non theological processes versus a, a theological one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, one thing I'm thinking about is like, so let's just like, let's say for just for the sake of like this conversation, like I just grant you, like, okay, like the size of the universe is super surprising and like the idea of like, like God existing. And I'm not claiming like there is some sort of perfect example like explanation because i have ideas but there's nothing like i'm like oh this is it i, I got it i know why there's a trillion stars out there they'll yeah, home yeah. that um <laughs> like that but like i'm wondering like so let's just say for the sake of this conversation it's surprising on theism that there's this super like big giant universe i wonder like isn't that just surprising on like atheism or naturalism true 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 because what about like atheism or naturalism saying like reality is like there is no god reality is like fundamentally indifferent what about that predicts that there'd be this giant universe? Like, I don't really see anything there. Well, 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 ju well just on atheism, atheism doesn't really say any, anything about what you'd expect yeah. in particularly. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah. when we're saying what we would expect on this, on an alternative view, well, we form our alternative view based on what we understand from science so far. And what we, the understanding we see that we have, that we seem to have from science so far is that what the world is, is it's full of these regularities. It's full of these kind of law-like, uh, it's, it's composed of all these rules and things obey, and, and what they are, they're mathematical rules, they're mathematical relations. If you, if you take the view that actually what a, what a reality is, what a universe is, is um, in some sense a kind of physical structure or mathematical structure with all these different relationships between its, between its parts, then, then you can start asking, well, what would you expect on, on, on that? Mm -hmm. Well, if we have cert uh, if cer a certain part of that structure, if we have certain laws which govern planet formation, which govern uh, the evolution of the universe, the late time evolution, late time evolution of the universe. Uh, we know what those laws are essentially, and we know that they are they'll generate planets, they'll form they'll form solar systems and you can get, you'll get planets of all sorts of different makeups and sizes and atmospheres. And based on those laws, if we had a tiny universe, then we wouldn't expect to be here because the, the probability of getting uh, a planet like ours is very, very tiny with the properties like ours is very, very tiny. Uh, and so we, this, this explains then why we have such a big universe, because in order for us to be here, we need a big universe, assuming these laws of planet formation and, and, and stellar evolution and late time universe evolution, 
we need a big universe for us to exist because uh, the, the chances of a planet like Earth existing is very, very small. And so the only way that you're going to get an Earth-like planet is if you have a massive universe with loads and loads of different planets produced and one of them happens to have the, the right properties and that's the one that we find ourselves on. And obviously this is, this is exactly what we're trying to do then in the case of fine tuning of the physical constants. What we want to say is that, okay, yeah, sure. Um, the, uh, the values of the constants uh, that we find that we find they are, are very rare, it seems. Most values of, of the physical constants will not permit any kind of life that, uh, as we know it. And so we can say, well, what would we expect then on naturalism? Well, what we'd expect on naturalism is for something to be some process that produces a vast quantity of different universes with, uh, with lots and lots of different constants. And so we happen to find ourselves in one uh, which has the right constants. So you can kind of see that there's this kind of problem which the kind of fine-tuning ideas, of they, uh, we've got a case where we've kind of been through the logic and been through the story already just in discovering that there's all sorts of different planets and uh, the laws of planet formation don't determine that you're definitely going to get a planet like Earth every time. Most likely you'll get a completely different planet, big gassy planets like Jupiter. And then there's a story where we're kind of still in the middle of where we've recognized that not all constants are going to work, uh, but we haven't seen yet evidence that there's this big, that there's this, that there's this big multiverse with the process producing all sorts of different universes with different constants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously I think it's going to like, it's going to come down to our, like our overarching theories of the world. And I, mm. like, I would push back and say, look, isn't that like, and I'm not going to say like, we don't have to get into this, but like, well, isn't that multiverse? Like, like you can explain maybe all these things, but isn't that going to be like a super complex theory or something like that? And you know, that's where we have. I, I, so, so not, not necessarily. So, uh, so for example, the theory that I work on inflation, we, okay. we, um, we propose inflation to deal with much more immediate problems. <clears throat> the more immediate problem that we had with the Big Bang model, or the the, the old pure hot Big Bang model, uh, mm -hmm. there were two kind of key problems which seemed to surface, and these were the flatness problem and the horizon problem. Uh, in short, the flatness problem is basically that the universe today is far flatter than we should expect. If there's any deviation, any any tiny deviation from flatness in the early universe, you expect the universe that the universe today to be much more curved. Okay, it's something like the the curvature of the universe has to be tuned to one part in ten to the sixty or something like that. That's the maximum deviation you can get away from flatness of the early universe to get our universe today being as flat as we observe it. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the hot Big Bang cannot account for that. And another thing that the hot Big Bang cannot account for is that uh, <clears throat> the, what's called the horizon problem. And this is when you look at a map of the cosmic microwave background. I'm sure ho hopefully most of you, everyone's seen it, that kind of blue and green little oval where we plotted across the sky. Uh, this cosmic, cosmic microwave background is the first light we see from the universe. And what it's formed of is it's around, I think, 10 to the 80, 10 to the 80 different patches, which should all be causally disconnected from each other. Okay, All these patches would, would never have had any causal contact, would never have communicated with one another. 
they've never interacted ever in the history of the universe. And so what was very puzzling on the, on the Big Bang, on the, on the original Big Bang model, is that all these different regions have the same temperature. Okay, this is a, this is a puzzle. How can completely disconnected regions, how can all these disconnected regions, which have never interacted, never been in thermal contact, how can they all have the same temperature? How do they know what temperature to be? And so these two problems are with the original whole Big Bang model. And so what the, what the theory of inflation does is it provides a, uh, a mechanism which both drives the universe towards flatness in the early universe. So it's a dynamical process that regardless of your initial conditions, if you have inflation for long enough, the universe gets flat enough. Uh, and also it means that because the universe is expanding at such a fast rate initially, lots of patches on the sky which used to be in causal contact got pushed apart and so they used to be in causal contact equilibrated to the same temperature but were then pushed apart which is why we now see them as being completely separated completely disconnected on the sky so inflation explains these two problems and and, and that's what that's what the original motivation is now what is kind of weird about in the mechanism of inflation is that if you have inflation it kind of entails that inflation doesn't just happen once. It doesn't really ever stop. Um, so, so what we've done, what we've done is we've proposed this theory which solved problems with the Big Bang Theory, and it seems to solve them well. There's some experimental evidence for inflation. It explains the problems that it's set out to. It seems like a decent theory, but there's lots of blanks that we need to fill in still. But a consequence of this nice theory that, it, that seems to explain what we observe is that you'll get lots of different causally disconnected regions of space-time, possibly with different laws of physics, possibly with different constants, emerging in a much larger kind of bulk. Uh, so what, without us kind of putting anything into the theory, the theory we've come up to explain observations we've already seen entails the existence of more universes than, than just our own, more space-times than just the one that, that, that we uh, that we live in. Um, and here's a stupid question. Are these, are these universes, are these before our inflation, during our inflation, after you, our inflation, the inflation uh, of our universe? So I, what are these about? So, so, so I, I think, I think the best, the best way to put it is that there's kind of like this massive, this massive space time. And it's all inflating. All parts of this space time are inflating. And then in certain patches, uh, you get, a vacuum decay and the inflation stops. And that's when the hot Big Bang starts. So inflation is kind of always going on, but for our universe, it stopped a long, long time ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so what you get is that in lots of different places, because this stopping is a probabilistic process, means it, it doesn't just happen once and that's it. It's got to happen in lots of different areas over time and it doesn't happen necessarily happen in all of them. Uh, but at a certain place, uh, inflation stops and you get a hot Big Bang. And so there's, uh, so it happened for our universe, but then there's also lots of other patches in this larger space time where inflation stops and a new kind of bubble universe is produced. But all these bubbles are completely disconnected from, from one another because the space between them is inflating at this colossal rate that they're just completely out of causal contact. So the picture that you get emerging very naturally from this model of this, this theory of inflation, which we propose to solve observational problems is you get this massive uh, 
you have this massive inflating space time where different parts of it stop inflating and these are points where big bangs happen and universes like ours form so you get this bubble universe kind of picture mm -hmm. uh, but, but, but yeah what i was what i think what i was saying originally is that the multiverse isn't something that's necessarily any more complex than um than the, than the theories that we currently need to to explain observations we introduce inflation to explain observations that we we need to explain these are these are problems these are observations that need explaining uh and so we have to we introduce this new frame this this framework this new mechanism uh and if inflation is the way the the early universe operated well then multiverses are just a consequence of it they're no more it's not an it's not an addition to the theory they're there in it they're in there naturally okay yeah that's, that's great here's something i guess here's what i'm thinking about when i'm thinking about complexity maybe we're going far off the track i think this is good so i think it's helpful for people um sure i'm not necessarily thinking about when i think about like saying that like an idea is complex i mean there's different ways you can take it what, what i meant to mean was thinking about um when i think about like theism and atheism and things like this i try to think about like what's like bedrock fundamental to reality um it's so, like for the theist they're gonna say like i'm gonna say it's god god is fundamental um and out of him comes everything else and yeah. i'm thinking about what i'm thinking about complexity is like that for like the atheistic um or naturalistic like explanation so like let's say that like reality is fundamentally like this like um inflating multiverse or something and i'm sorry if i'm probably i'm sure i'm misunderstanding you um because this is not very no, that's not, that's not um, so before all the comments are like that just doesn't get the science i'm like yeah you're probably right that's why i'm having this conversation um so so what i'm thinking is like so let's say it's just the multiverse and i'm gonna wonder like um what, what are the parts of this like is it like is it limited in any sense um and like what's going on here are there like laws that govern the multiverse and just like to me like the more you fill in that you have to fill in to like your fundamental feature, the more complexity you're going to add. And the more you have to add, I'm going to say, Hey, like, look, look at this theism, Matt. It's, it's chilling. You know, we got like a perfect being, a mind that's just like absolutely perfect. And I'd say like, you know, like it's a pretty simple view. So does that make sense with what I'm, what I'm thinking about? Oh like, yeah. Complexity? Oh, oh, to yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. No, that, 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 that makes perfect sense. And uh, I mean, the, the problem with, with science and, and, and basing a naturalism of science at the moment is that we don't, we don't know what this, ultimate mm -hmm. what the ultimate kind of metaphysical fundamental entities are we're in science we're working very much from the top down we work we we see things and observe things at a very high level a very complex level and we're trying to work our way down and that's very difficult mm. it's much easier yeah. to start with the basics and work your way up but that's that's mm -hmm. not the problem we've got we've got to do the opposite um yeah no I so, so we so we don't know what the what the basic constituents are if we knew that then uh, we could say a lot more about whether a multiverse is something any more complex than a single universe or whether, or, or, and, and things like that. Ultimately, whether there are multiple universes out there, whether there are multiple space times out there is going to depend on what the fundamentals are. Okay. Uh, once you get down to the, the singularity of the Big Bang, the singularity is just a word we have for where the, where the, where the mathematical forms for laws that we have break down, they don't work anymore. But something physical will, will still be will still be going on there. It will just obey higher energy laws than we currently have access to. The laws of physics that we work with are what are called effective laws, low energy laws. They're, they're, they, they, would be de they would be derivable from the true, let's say, theory of everything in a low energy limit. 
so we work with these laws, but we're very aware that there's there's this kind of high energy, what's called UV ultraviolet uh, theory, which these laws will be derived from, but is much more fundamental. Now, as you're going towards the Big Bang, as you're going to much, much higher energies, your effective laws break down because there are degrees of freedom from the higher energy physics, which are going to become important and you can't ignore them anymore. Uh, and so when you're getting close to singularity, what's important are going to be these, these extra degrees of freedom, which we don't currently know what they are. Okay, we, we, there's going to be elements of this theory. The fundamentals of this theory are going to be important. We don't know what this theory is yet. So we don't, we don't know what happens. So whether, there are, whether it's very natural for extra universes to be produced, uh, for space times to, to, to form in uh, lots of disconnected space time to form, that's going to depend on what the kind of the fundamental theory says, what, what's in that fundamental theory. Um, but at a very speculative level, uh, you, you, theorists can say that they base their reality on, on God, and that's their foundation for everything. Uh, science, uh, science-based atheism or naturalism currently doesn't have that. But in my own opinion, this is a question I'm interested in. It's something I I'd like to think about. And the current candidate that I have for that uh, is, math is, is mathematics. Mm -hmm. That's the... That's the thing that's from, that's the best candidate I can think of at the moment. That essentially, um, mathematics is what exists. Everything is a mathematical. What exists is a mathematical uh, mathematical structures. And so, if um, if our if our let's say if our reality is one of these particular mathematical structures, then it may just be the case that one of the one of the uh, laws of this mathematical structure is that you have lots of these different disconnected space times being produced. And so this doesn't add any complexity to the, to the, to the mathematical structure in a way. It, it's just, it's one, it's one uh, kind of unified structure. It's one mathematical framework. It's one, uh, it's one structure. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, that's great. I don't have too much to add to that. Um, what do you want to take this? Like, we could talk. We talked about kind of like um, the relationship between science and religion. Yeah, where do you want to take this conversation? I well, we can talk. We, we we can put this into talking about more specific arguments if you like. Things like yeah, let's do it. So and, and fine tuning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the like obviously like the most common thing, especially when you get into like apologetics or like things like this, is the claims that like. Um, that cosmology is going to support like um like the, a beginning of the universe there's different things like you talk about like the borg with blanket theorem or like um like rat, rat, ugh, radio ba background i bring microwave background radiation <laughs> like things like this um so like what do you think of this obviously like you're not convinced or you'd be a theist like where do you think this I, like where did, where is cosmology let's just start with this where is cosmology in saying like the universe is finite is it like is it leaning that way? Is it leaning against the other way? Or are we just kind of like left in the middle saying we really don't know? Uh, realistically, it's we really don't know. Um, so, uh, so some some physicists think that um, have have very very have, have what they think are very strong reasons for presuming that everything in in physical reality is is finite. That there's no such thing as the infinite in uh, in physics, it could be the case. Their reasons are 
are, are are decent ones. I I sometimes I find myself thinking that that's more the way to go. But the, I I've never I've never seen any good reason I don't think for the non-exist for that infinities are impossible in nature, and and this is this in a sense comes from this comes from two places. It comes from my my more speculative view that I think that everything is a mathematical structure. And to me, infinities make perfect mathematical sense. They're a perfectly valid mathematical structure. And so I see no reason why uh, various quantities in physical reality can't be described by, uh, by infinite, by infinite, can't be described using infinite mathematics, transcendental mathematics. So I see no reason from that for excluding infinities from nature. Uh, but, but also I've never been particularly convinced by any of the various philosophical paradoxes with um, with infinity that you can that you can look up Hilbert's hotel, uh, Grim Reaper par paradox, all these things I think are fascinating. I really like going into them and 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 exploring them. But I think every time I've looked at them, I've always just thought you're just this is an argument about that it's counterintuitive. This isn't an argument that there's an actual contradiction or a paradox. And yeah. I, I think it's very, because there's no, you're not going to be able to derive a paradox just from the mathematics because the, math, the mathematics, as far as we're, we're, we're aware is perfectly consistent. So the, the way that these, these paradox have to derive a contradiction is bringing in assumptions about how the physical world works and saying that if the physical world uh, if there are certain things in the physical world that obeyed the, the principles of transcendental mathematics, then you'd arrive at uh, paradoxes where there's a contradiction between how we expect the physical world to behave and uh, how transcendental mathematics would tell us that this system would behave. And this, this is kind of, you're bringing in assumptions about how the physical world is going to behave. And this is a problem because we've never encountered an infinite quantity in the physical world so far. Perhaps there are, they are there, but we just haven't encountered them. Um, for example, the, the key candidate uh, for this is, is space. Um, there's absolutely no reason at the moment, one way or the other, to believe that space is infinite or finite in extent. There's absolutely nothing we can tell you about that at the moment. We, there's a certain horizon which we get to, and, we, and that horizon's there because light only has so long to, to reach us, and so that's the furthest we can see. Uh, but when we look at things on this horizon, you know, nothing weird's happening. There doesn't appear to be any kind of boundary effects or anything happening there. It's not a hard boundary. It's just a place we can't see beyond. Uh, and so we have absolutely no idea if, that, if space just extends past that point infinitely or whether it comes to a, a stop at some point. There's, there's absolutely nothing we know, nothing we can say about that at the moment. Mm. Um, so, am I interrupting you? I, um, I, I was remembering what <laughs> what the original question was as well. Um, well, I, guess, I mean, I, guess, I asked, yeah. I guess it's just worth, worth, worth saying as well that in terms of time as well, thinking about whether uh, reality kind of goes infinitely far back in time, uh, that's something which is very, uh, lots of very interesting considerations going on on there as well, both in philosophy and in and in physics. I think the only thing that that physics at the moment can currently say 
is that the Big Bang is not physics is not saying that the Big Bang is the is the first moment in all of reality. That's not what the Big Bang theory is saying. All the Big Bang theory says is that we have an incredibly good physical model of our universe and its evolution, and, and we can model its history ex exceptionally well. But then there's a point, a certain point in the past where our model breaks down. The universe is in a much, a very different state. It's in a very high energy state. It's in exceptional circumstances. Our theories no longer work. And so at that point, there's nothing more we can say. And so, you know, that's all the Big Bang Theory is saying. There's a special point which we currently can't kind of see beyond. Whether there's something beyond it, we don't know. We're not saying that that's, there's nothing beyond it, but we're also not saying that there's something beyond it. All we're saying is that this, this point where we can't currently say anything sensible about before it, that's all we're saying. Mm. Here's what I, I'll tell you what I think is an uneducated person on, on the nature of this is the way I've always like, I mean, like I go back and forth. Um, but the way I think right now is, is I look, I think about the idea of like we talked about in the beginning or you talked about in the beginning um, is the universe coming from a very like hot, dense state. And I'm just like, I, I, I try to imagine in my mind, like all of reality fitting within like something that's like a fraction of the size of like this, like smart, like pencil I have right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, to me, when I think about it, I'm like, okay, one idea is the universe is finite. And I'm like, I guess if the universe is finite, it seems to make sense. I guess it would like kind of expand outwards and maybe it was all together at one point. But if the universe is infinite, like how likely is it that it would, at one point everything would be in this hot, dense state? And I would say, it, it just seems to me when I think about it, not very likely. And obviously, you know, there's a lot you could say and, you know, you have your theories and I'm not saying it's like impossible to. It's just for me intuitively when I think about it, like that's kind of where I land when thinking about like the science of um, the early universe and things like that. I, it, it's an interesting point to make because I, I, I think what this actually touches on is kind of the problem of uh, event, almost, almost the problem of entropy and the, okay. the, 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 um, the, arrow, the arrow of time, the kind of wondering why, why does our universe look so asymmetric? Why, if we, if we go backwards in time, entropy seems to decrease and mm -hmm. why I'm forward in time, entropy seems to increase. Uh, if anyone doesn't know entropy is the kind of uh, it's, it's just a, a very specific physical term for essentially the amount of order when you go forward in time the order gets you, you're getting more disordered when you go backwards in time you're you're getting much more ordered so our, our initial state is far has a far lower entropy has far more order uh than um than anything today or anything in the future uh, and so it's a massive question because ordered states are rarer. That's uh, in, in, in the space of possibilities, ordered states are unlikely or they're rare. There's very few possible states which are ordered and lots of possible states which are very, which are disordered. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a big question of why is the early universe so ordered? Why is the initial state of the universe, why does it have a very low entropy? And this is a, this is an open question. I think this is, without maybe knowing it this is potentially what you're saying <laughs> how 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 on earth was all this kind of stuff in one place um and, and it's an open question it's an open question mm -hmm. and one of for example one attempt to try and to try and solve this problem is actually to say that the kind of big bang event in the Big Bang event is not the beginning of the universe, but actually just a special point kind of in between two universes going out on different sides. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, 
and and if if you if you introduce this, then you get a symmetry back to this. Uh, you got a symmetry back to the situation. Time backwards and forwards. It doesn't actually matter. There's just this. There's just this. Uh, there's just this special point. So there's 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 a very uh, very distinguished philosopher of physics, Julian Barber. Uh, he's got a popular science book on this. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, the Janus point. This is where he discusses something like this. Uh, where you can kind of solve this problem by extending the universe out the other side of the Big Bang and having this nice kind of symmetrical um, uh, cosmology. Um, mm -hmm. that, I hopefully, I, I can't exactly, I'm not sure I can go into much detail about yeah. how how exactly that might address some of your concerns, but I, I think that's kind of along the lines that, that your question is actually probing. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. I'm happy to leave it there because obviously there's a lot. Um, let's go with this briefly. Um, what what about fine tuning? So a lot of people would say like fine tuning is going to provide evidence for God. Um, looking at different physics, like other like Matt, when you're talking about the one to the ten to the sixtieth, um, what's going on there? Like it seems like there's some sort of fine tuning which would imply like a designer or something. So when we're looking at like let's just talk about the science of fine tuning. Um, is it fine tuned for like life? Do we not know? Or do we know it's false? Like where are you with that? So I think. Um... I think it's very clear that the, the claim that can very clearly be made, and there's a lot of evidence to back it up now, is that so there's, there's certain constants, seven or eight different physical constants, which govern the way the universe evolved, evolved, govern the um, strengths of the various forces and, and this kind of thing. And these are key, seven key parameters or so, which determine how the universe is going to evolve, how it's going to turn out. And what, what is established, I think, beyond any reasonable, reasonable doubt, is that if you imagine being able to vary these constants between any sensible, in a range between any sensible values, uh, the, the, uh, the range of values of these constants which permits life is an incredibly tiny subset of the whole possible range. Okay, mm -hmm. So it seems that there are far more uh, n values we can set these constants to where life life almost certainly doesn't exist. I know this is something that some people like um, James Fodor say, for example, one of their objections to fine tuning is that we don't know what we don't have a very good definition of life. It could be the case that there are is life in some of these in lots of these cases, but we just don't know. We're just not familiar enough with it. I, I disagree with that. I think it's very clear when, when we're varying these constants, what's happening is that the universe is collapsing basically instantly on itself or expanding mm -hmm. so fast that individual particles don't have time to communicate with each other. Like this is the kind of universe we're talking about. And I think that it's very reasonable to say that uh, these are, these are situations where no life, no conceivable life would exist. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, so, so that's the claim that very few of these, uh, very few of these values uh, will end up in a, in a life-emitting universe. Um, most choices will lead to a, a, barren, a barren universe. I think that's, that's what's established. Now, what people then jump to, which is not, which is not permissible without some further work, what most people jump to then is that the, are, the constants being the values that they are in our universe are very unlikely. The probability that our universe will be life emitting 
is very, very unlikely, is the, is the claim that is then made. But this is not a claim that follows from the fine-tuning evidence as we have it. Okay, all we know is that out of all the out of all the epistemic possibilities of what we can set the constants to, very few are life-emitting. But we don't actually know what the probability of each uh, of each of these values is, and we don't even know if they're physically possible alternatives. Okay, the only way that you can get or the the the, the way that you what you have to assume to get to our our life permitting universe is very improbable. You have to assume that all of these uh, different values are physical possibilities, uh, and each of them, when we can apply the principle, we can apply the principle of indifference and say that they're all equally likely. If you assume these two things, if you assume these two things, then sure, the result is that uh, that our universe, having the con the life permitting constants that it does, is very unlikely. But these assumptions are not things which are to be taken lightly okay mm -hmm. these constants they're not they're not even necessary things that are actually constants these are simply numbers which are not determined by our current physical theories these are numbers that are either either can't be changed uh well so, so so the 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 obvious origin for these for these values that we have where we think we can get these values in physics is to appeal to some higher energy theory that we don't currently know about. These will either specify particular values for these constants or a range or some pro or some probability distribution over these values. So at the moment, we can't actually say that our universe is improbable. All we can say is that um, is, 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 is what I said before. Most of, most of the values that we can currently consider would result in a in a barren universe. Okay, well, I think that's super helpful, Matt. Like you're, you're like saying, hey, uh, like there's a lot of ways. Like when we're looking at fine tuning, like that things could go wrong. Like, there's a lot of ways where universe collapses, or like you know, it's not looking too hot for life. Um, but then you're saying, like, hey, the question is really like, what is the probability of like having a universe like ours? And that's really to you where the mystery is, and that's going to run into a lot of the issues for fine tuning in your view. Yeah, that's an unanswered. That's an un that's the unanswered question so far. Is our universe actually improbable? That's mm -hmm. that's not some that's not a trivial claim. It doesn't follow from from the fine tuning evidence that we have. Um, but then, so I what mean, are, yeah, yeah, go on, yeah, you go. On. I say, what do you think then about like the principle of indifference? Mm -hmm. Like people would say, like, hey, at least like conceptually, like there's a lot of different ways like the universe could could go. Um, so like on atheism, at least like, if you're gonna use indifference, like you say, like, hey, there's a bunch more different ways that you have to consider. Like at least part of like at least the possibility space on atheism, whereas like on theism, like those universes that like where there's no life probably aren't as likely because God would like value agents and things like that. So like scientifically, like is that principle of indifference something you just can't comment on? Or like, where is that? Like when we're looking at indifference from like the scientific account. Well, it's an assumption, but it's not, it's not an unreasonable assumption, especially when we're looking at, um, at this question epistemically. And so, okay. I, and so I, I am in the, I'm in the camp where I think that fine tuning is something that needs to be explained by something at some point. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. epist epistemically, based on what we know, uh, the universe is the universe with the constants that we with the values of the constants that we see is unlikely epistemically. Whether it's actually unlikely is, is something that we that we don't know. OK, it could be the case that 
this this is the this is kind of the view that has been believed by various people at various points in history that our universe is the only logically possible universe. Uh, if that were the case, then uh, then the probability of this universe having the constants that it does is one. Okay, it's not unlikely at all. It's mm -hmm. certain. Um, so so there's a distinction to be made between metaphysical probability, which is the actual probability of of this universe having the constants that it does. And this is going to depend on higher energy theories of physics or, or, or something or whatever lies beyond. Uh, and epistemic probability, which is all we can currently say something about. And epistemically, because we've got all these different possibilities and very few of them seem to permit life, it is reasonable to apply the principle of, in, of indifference and say that epistemically, we should not expect to see a universe with uh, these values of the constants. And so I think fine tuning is something that is, does cry out for an explanation. Mm -hmm. And, and then the, the step then is, is, is to then ask, well, what is a good explanation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about this. Um, maybe we'll wrap up with this because it has been really, I really enjoy this conversation. Um, yes. <laughs> one of the things I've been wondering, at least, you know, this question is really pressing on my mind. Um, just get ready. Is, is I looking behind, I, I was looking behind your head at the beginning of this conversation. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, I was like, why do physicists always have boards written with equations on the background? Like wh what is going on with that? Can you explain, <laughs> can you explain that? Is that and, and, and here's the second part. Is that better explained by theism or atheism? So. Yeah. Ah, okay. I like that. I like that. Well, why do we always have equations written down? Well, it's because well, the analogy I like to use, and this is what I used when I was a maths teacher, is you know, you know, fantasy novels, and they have they have a magic system, and their magic system sometimes relies on knowing the true names of objects. You can you have power over an object if you know its true name, and you can command it, and you can, and you can do stuff like that. Well, in our in our real world, what seems or at least what seems to me to be the, the equivalent of that in the real world is, is, is mathematics. Mathematics, there's this unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics in describing the world around us. It feels almost like mathematics is the true name of things. Um, so, it's, I mean, the way we write down mathematics is, is, in a way, conventional. The symbols that we use, the way we write it down, these are conventions. But what I feel very strongly is that these are symbols these are symbols which are representing something that is that is real something and not only real but may be fundamentally real the fundamental basis of everything that we're mimicking these structures with the symbols that we use so why do why do physicists always have equations on whiteboards behind them well it's because that's what we have to work in this is mm. if you're not working in maths the statements you're making are too ambiguous they're not precise enough you're not you're, you're in danger of what you're you're in danger of not saying anything at all. You're in danger of what you say having no meaning. Writing things down in mathematics makes it very clear what's going on, what precisely you're saying, and it's this kind of universal basis. I you can either think of it as a building block or as a language, um, in which we can talk about how the world works and and the kinds of things we're saying about it and the kinds of way it might behave. So, so that's why we always have equations. I mean, the reason I have that, those equations behind me is just I'm trying to uh, learn some of my quantum field theory a bit better for some of the for some of the uh, for some of the stuff I'm working on. And so that's just me practicing. But you know, uh, the way to practice is to write down these equations because this is essentially what 
these are describing the way the world works. And if you can get familiar with how these symbols behave, then you're, you become very good at, um, at being able to manipulate and, and deal with physical systems, the physical systems mm. that you're describing. And that's like, that's something really magical, isn't it? That's by, by getting familiar with this system of symbols, you're also getting familiar with a physical system that you've never, you'll never lay eyes on it. And you'll never, uh, me as a, as a theoretical physicist, not, a, not an experimentalist, I'll never lay eyes on it. I'll never deal with individual atoms and individual particles, but I can, I can work out exactly what they're going to do by knowing how this system of symbols works well enough. That's mm -hmm. something really quite, quite incredible. Now, mm -hmm. whether this is something better explained on, on naturalism or, uh, or, or theism. Uh, so, I think what some theists, so actually, this is something which has always, or in recent times has disappointed me about theism, is that there was no mention in the Bible, no mention in religion really of, of anything like this, this, this kind of power of, of, of mathematics. There's no, there's no mention of, of, this, of this amazing thing that we can do, which actually describes the way the world around us works. And I think that if, if I were to believe in a God, you know, this, this mathematical system is incredible. This is something that I can't believe is not something that we were told about or, or, or that it was showing off about even. Um, so the kind of, the, what, what seems to me to be so fundamental to the way that the natural world works and to how reality works, it seems to me bizarre that that would be left out of, um, uh, left out of religion. Um, and I think it is, I think I am right and justified in saying that it is left out because the only real, the only thing I can think of really that a position, a, a theistic position on what mathematics is that I've ever heard of is just to say that they're, they're kind of concepts in, in God's mind and this kind of thing. And to me that it doesn't really explain, that doesn't really explain anything for me at all. Uh, were these concepts, did these concepts pre-exist and they were then in God's mind? Did these, uh, were these concepts just thought up by God? Could he have, could he have thought up different concepts and there are different versions, completely different mathematics that could have existed? It just seems, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to me to be an explanation that works very well. Now, I don't think naturalism necessarily explains this either. I think the unreasonable effectiveness in the natural sciences is, is not something that is necessarily explained just on naturalism. You just kind of assume that it works. You assume that, um, yeah, it's great. These this, mathematics seems to describe the world so well, and we can use it to to learn things and to and to tell us what's going to happen. Uh, but the that that connection isn't really explained, and so this is why it's super speculative. I I I can't. There aren't. There aren't loads of good reasons to believe it's the case, but for me, the, the kind of the worldview that makes most sense to me is to believe that mathematics is reality, and then the reason that we the, the reason that we can that mathematics is so good at describing the natural world is because the natural world is a mathematical structure. Mm. Well. That's interesting. Um, Matt, <laughs> I guess you, I think that's a good place to leave off, though. I think I think this sure. is good. So, Matt, um, yeah. how can people like follow with you, connect with you, things like that? 
Yes, so uh, my channel if, is on my name down here, Physically Debunked. Uh, I, 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 I don't necessarily like my own name too much. I chose it a long time ago now when I was mostly going to be... What, what really bugged me was various much less educated theists than you making claims that um making claims that relied on science that was completely wrong or or inaccurate mm -hmm. and that annoyed me so i wanted to debunk these very basic claims that appeared so often on twitter and and in various other places now i'm i'm really less interested in in that and much more interested in just exploring these very interesting ideas in philosophy, theology and and science. And so it'd be nicer if I had a, a name that reflected that. But my YouTube channel is <laughs> physically debunked. And uh, what I have been doing most recently on there is just going through each of the premises of, of the various kind of traditional arguments for God's existence. So I've got the cosmological argument on there. I've got a version of the contingency argument on there. Uh, and I just go through the premises and explain uh, why they might be good and why, where I think they may, they, uh, there's room to question them. And in quest usually these premises, the way that we can question them relies on a lot of physics and science. And so it's a very interesting discussion that can, that can follow. Um, so yeah, Physically Debunked, that's YouTube, also on Twitter as that. I have a purely philosophy of science channel, which is called Shots in the Quark. Uh, but yeah, those are all the different ways you can follow me if you're interested. I presume many of your viewers are theists and, uh, well, up to, up to, not necessarily my target audience. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I hope, I hope I, my discussions are always interesting and uh, are much, they're, they're, I always try to make them much more about just talking about interesting ideas and concepts about the world and much less about bashing fears and more anything like that. <laughs> well, I'd encourage people to check out Matt's channels. I actually hadn't heard of Shots in the Quark until right now. <laughs> um, so I, I encourage, because if you're listening to this channel, like you're atheist, I hope you're also listening to like atheist agnostic channels um, that are very like thoughtfully informed and like, you know, like providing the best of the other side. So I'd encourage people to check out Matt's channels. Um, yeah. If you're new here, though, I encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, and all that fun stuff. Thank you so much for joining me today, Matt. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you to all the listeners. Um, super appreciate all of you spending some time here with us today. And if you value our content, uh, consider becoming a patron, patreon.com slash apologetics. And that's it. Thanks, Matt. One last time. Super great. And yeah, thank you. Thank you very and, much. And have a good one, everyone. God bless. We'll see you next time.